Section twenty two of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book two, chapter fourteen. Under the cedar trees. Oh, sweet fancy, let her loose. Everything is spoiled by use. Where's the cheek that doth not fade? Too much gazed at. Anonymous. The colonel and his wife had been met at the door and told that the ladies were at tea in the garden, and without entering the house or visiting the gun-room on their way, they passed by the side-gate that led to the velvet lawns, so greenly spread beneath the shade of those old trees which have always seemed to me the rightful owners of Bolsover Hall. The tea-table stood under a cedar which had sheltered three or four generations of Bolsovers in turn, and which had seen grandparents and parents at play before Fanny Bolsover and her sister and her brothers had grown up from children. The eldest of the generation, Tempy's mother, the first Tempy, who married little Jackie Diamond, as the colonel was once called, was long since dead, and so was Charles, the youngest brother, the father of the present Charles peregrine who came next to the squire and who once climbed to the rook's nest on the upper boughs of the tallest cedar was far away and had returned no more to the old place and the brilliant fanny the lovely spoiled girl who once thought all mankind all life was at her feet was this what she had come to this garish affected woman with her disappointed ambitions her limited imaginations her ostentatious cleverness and dominating will the good squire in all his sixty years had scarcely travelled beyond the shadow of his old trees nor changed in heart since he first came out at the head of the brotherhood to play hide-and-seek upon the lawn miss bolsover advanced to meet the little party susanna and tempy and Frazee running ahead and jacky diamond now sobered silvered settled and no more like the youth she could remember than she resembled the fanny of forty years ago aunt fanny was unusually gracious so it seemed to susie she sent the servant for a low table and a baby chair for Frazee. she insisted on ordering tea upon the lawn for them she stirred and mixed milk and water and divided sponge-cakes and strawberries and cream with extra alacrity she would not hear of the colonel going into the house to look for the squire we will leave poor frederick to have his nap out says miss bolsover plenty of time john to see the presents do let us enjoy this lovely afternoon in peace it is so good of poor dear peregrine only i can't conceive what we are to do with all the eggs he sends home do look at that lovely effect of light upon the lake susanna so you are going on to the magistrate's dinner at countryside john what time is your train shall you call in on your way back i hear lord nay borton is expected to speak poor you you will have to propose his health little mademoiselle where are you running to in a high staccato voice do keep the child quietly here and amuse tempy dear more strawberries anybody ah here comes carr from the schools well carr tired what news when is the terrible inspector to come and aunt carr wearily sinks down upon a chair not without a benevolent iron grin of welcome to Frazee, who runs straight up to her and climbs upon her knee and begins at once to pop strawberries into her mouth 
Miss Bolsover, for some reason or other, seemed absolutely determined that no one should move from the tea-table. "'Well, have you seen the presents, Phraisie?' Mrs. Bolsover was beginning. "'Car, car, don't talk of poor dear Peregrine's horrors just yet,' cries Aunt Fanny. "'You know they are always the same, claws and teeth and fusty bison skins.' And as she spoke, the stable clock, soft and clear and deliberate, came to their ears, striking the three quarters. "'A quarter to six, says the colonel. "'Car, says Miss Bolsover, "'the man was here this morning. "'He says the clock is some minutes slow.' it is all right by my watch said the colonel looking down at his gold repeater i nearly missed my train yesterday miss bolsover remarked absently stirring her tea but most likely of course your watch is right john however to the punctual colonel this most likely was not to be endured i'll make sure of my train anyhow says he getting up leisurely phraisie will you give papa a kiss good-bye susie expect me after dinner car tell bolsover i'll look in on my way home as the colonel was walking off across the grass on his way to the station the figures of mr bolsover himself and another person might have been seen at the drawing-room window where the squire stood trying to undo the hasp aunt fanny who had eyes everywhere caught sight of the two for she suddenly seized little scared phraisie up in playful arms and went flying and rustling and panting across the lawn towards the house in time to meet her brother-in-law face to face on the step here is our dear little fay come to see uncle fred and all the pity things says miss bolsover playfully thrusting the child into her brother's arms don't come out charlie boy i want to speak to you dear most particularly come into my boudoir frederick will you take the child into the gun-room auntie will come for her directly presently a servant came out from the house with a message to tempe under the tree miss bolsover wanted to speak to her then miss bolsover herself returned again without tempe leading little phraisie by the hand tempe is delighted with the eggs and things says aunt fanny to aunt carr i brought the little one back susanna your pony carriage has come for you i don't know if you are at all afraid of keeping her out too late i myself know nothing about it says miss bolsover with her merry tinkle of earrings and laughter but if you would like to go home we will send tempy home in the tea-cart and be glad to keep her tempy said she wanted to get back early susanna answered quite unsuspiciously oh we will see to that cries aunt fanny affectionately conducting mrs dymond to the side gate where the pony carriage was standing dear me you have never seen your beads after all nor the scalps either i'll send them to you by tempe then susy nodded and smiled and waved good-bye to mrs bolsover and was more than absorbed in making her little phraisie kiss her hand and say good-bye too phraisie behaved beautifully and did all that was expected of her and chattered all the way home on her mother's knee nice gentipan in dear mamma said little phraisie as they drove off gentipan kissed fay susy did not quite understand what phraisie meant no dear she said there was no gentleman only papa ozer ones said phraisie persisting susy waited dinner but no tempe came home and mrs dymond finished her meal by herself all the bright dazzling hours of the day seemed passing before her still shining crowding with light and life with phraisie's busy little life most of all susie went upstairs on her way to her own room and stood for a few minutes by phraisie's little crib where all the pretty capers and sweet prattle and joy and wonder were quietly dreaming among the pillows 
the child's peaceful head lay with a warm flush and with tranquil resting breath the little hand hung over the quilt half dropping a toy it was some goggle-eyed wide-awake dolly staring hard and with loops of tow and gilt ornaments not unlike miss bolsover herself for once mrs diamond had also enjoyed her visit to bolsover hall aunt fanny had been gracious she had spared those thrusts which used to sting for all susy's calm imperturbability as for mrs bolsover susy had learnt to be less and less afraid of her grim advances little fay asleep or awake was an ever-growing bond between the two women susy had brought fay's nursery down from the upper floor and she had now only to cross a passage from the nursery to reach her own sitting-room where she found a green lamp burning and a fire burning even in summer-time they used to light fires at crowbeck after the sun was set she had no other company than that of zillah lying asleep by the hearth but she wanted none other she settled herself comfortably in her sofa corner where the lamp shed its pleasant light and after writing a long rambling pencil letter to her mother susy took up a novel and read assiduously for a time then she closed the book her little phrases eyes and looks and her button of a nose and her funny sweet sayings seemed to come between her and the print what chance has a poor arthur with such a rival funny gentipan who could phrasy mean by funny gentipan then suddenly as the baby herself might have done susanna happy thankful resting and at ease dropped off into a sleep sound and long and deep as these illicit slumbers are apt to be i do not know how long her dreams had lasted the nurse looked in and not liking to disturb her went off to bed the clock struck ten and the half hour and suddenly mrs diamond started up wide awake she thought she had heard a sound and her own name called and she answered as she sat up on the couch bewildered was it her husband's voice was it marney come home susy rubbed her eyes all seemed silent again but she had been startled and looking at the clock she flushed up ashamed of her long nap then she crossed the room to the bell and rang it but no one came for the maids had gone to bed and the men were in a different part of the house i don't know what nervous terror suddenly seized her but as she listened still she grew more frightened then she thought of calling the nurse and looked into the nursery again for that purpose but gaining courage from the calm night-life and the peaceful cradle she came quietly away only as she crossed the passage she now distinctly heard a low continuous murmur of voices going on in some room not far distant then susy reflected that housebreakers do not start long audible conversations in the dead of night and summoning up courage she descended the broad flight of stairs which led to the sitting-rooms below the voices were not loud but every now and then the tones rose in the silence as she came to the half-open drawing-room door it was just under her dressing-room she heard a man's voice speaking in eager tones and then the colour rushed up into her face and once more her heart began to beat for she seemed to recognise tempe's low answer she opened the door there stood charlie who seemed to be destined to disturb the slumbers of his family there stood tempy beside him in the glow of the dying embers the two sadly happily miserable and yet together susy could see poor tempy's tears glistening in the red firelight and charlie's rings and decorations as they stood holding each other's hands in parting grief mrs diamond came in like a beautiful fate in her long white dress floating sternly across the room she set her light upon the table tempy she said oh tempy i could not have believed it of you 
and how can you come susanna said turning to charlie bolsover how dare you come she repeated disturbing us troubling us with your presence tempy has promised has promised not to see you she went on excitedly why don't you keep away do you not know that all our home peace and happiness depend upon your absence you are not you will never be her husband do you want to part her for ever from her father cried susy passionately as for you tempy i thought i could have trusted you as i trust myself was this why you stayed behind why you deceived me susy might have been kinder she might have sympathized more but that her own youth had taught her so sad so desperate a lesson the comfortable debonair vices easy-going misdeeds and insincerities seemed to her worse and more terrible than the bitterest and most cutting truths the sternest baldest realities that tempy should deceive her deceive her father should be seen charlie by secret arrangement seemed to susy unworthy of them all charlie turned round upon her in a sudden fury where was his usual placid indifference now if you knew what you were saying if you had ever been in love he said in a rage speaking bitterly indignantly you would not be so cruel to her mrs diamond you part us for no reason but your husband's fancy and you divide us as if we were two sacks of potatoes go you say forget each other you don't know what you say you might as well say do not exist at all as tell us not to love each other it may be easy enough for people who marry not for love but for money or because they want comfortable homes or housekeepers to part but oh for shame for shame charlie cried tempy starting away and pulling her hand from her lover let him speak it is best so said susanna very stern and pale and uncompromising he has a right to speak i speak because i feel while you all seem to me stones and stocks cried the young fellow i speak because i love tempy with all my heart and you are condemning her and condemning me unheard to sorrow and lifelong separation there was something some utter truth of reality in the young man's voice something which haunted susanna long after this had come upon her suddenly unexpectedly but not for the first time did she feel uneasy impatient with her husband a sudden indignant protest rose in her heart for the first time since her marriage she questioned and denied his infallibility it might be true that charlie bolsover had been foolish true that he was in debt true that tempy was rich and young but was it not also true that these two people were tenderly faithfully attached to each other it seemed a terrible responsibility for the father to divide them absolutely to say death to their love let it be as nothing let it cease for ever susy thought of the boy's sad wild looks as he rushed past her in the passage of eiderdown's hotel she looked at him again he was changed somehow he looked older stronger angrier less desperate more of a man he stood fronting tempe not with the air of one who was ashamed and out of place but as if he had a right to speak susy radamantine though she was covered her face with her two hands for a minute she could not meet the young fellow's reproachful look it seemed to her that it had all happened before that she had known it all along known it from the beginning even when charlie exasperated turned from her to tempe saying tempe i can't bear this any longer you must decide between us send me away if you have the heart to send me away still susy seemed to know it all to know that tempe was saying i shall never give you up charlie but i cannot go against my father's cruel will the sound of wheels of a horse's hoofs 
stopping at the front door brought the situation to a crisis listen that must be papa said tempy starting forward go charlie go there's still time you must not meet him and she all in tears took his hand into both hers and would have dragged him to the window through which they had entered together go why should i go cried charlie exasperated holding his ground i am not ashamed of being here and as he spoke susy heard the hall door open he is right tempy she cried with a bright look and then with a sudden impulse susanna ran to the dining-room door threw it open and called her husband by his name as he came into his house john come here charles bolsover is here said susy standing in the dining-room door then she saw that her husband was looking very pale instead of coming up to her he stood by the staircase holding to the banister he looked very old suddenly quite different somehow i know charles bolsover is here he said looking hard at his wife i heard it just now before you told me tell him i will not see him tell him and tempy to carry on their plots elsewhere you susy i can trust thank god dear john what is it susy cried running up to him tempy tempy come to your father come and tell him he can trust us all susy cried in despair at her husband's strange manner and looks and tempy hearing susy's voice also came out with her round face still bathed in tears oh papa what is it she said gently i didn't know charlie was to be at the hall indeed i didn't though perhaps if i had i could not have kept away i hadn't seen him for oh so long he walked back with me just now that is all are you very angry the poor colonel's face altered changed softened the colour seemed to come back into his lips i am not angry with you my poor child he said and he sighed and held out his hand tempy felt that it was cold like stone i am tired another time i will speak to you i cannot see him i thought i thought you were all trying to deceive me he repeated with an attempt at a smile tempy watched him step by step till he turned the corner of the staircase still holding by the banisters long long afterward she seemed to see him climbing slowly and passing on end of section twenty two